do a number four. Usually don't go quite this long on a series, uh, but I'm pushing it this morning. I'm going to do number four on this same title. What does Christ's incarnation mean to you? And so uh, the reason I use the name Christ instead of Jesus is because his it's because that's his messianic name. Of course, Jesus is his human name. Once in a while, reading the paper, I come across where Jesus gets a speeding ticket or something because we got people in this country from Mexico and Jesus is a pretty common name for some of those people. Uh, but I know it wasn't Jesus the Christ that got a speeding ticket. Uh, I know that there's a difference. But uh, I used Christ because we're talking about the incarnation. And so uh, he was the word before he was Jesus, wasn't he? Uh, and uh, they didn't know what to call him when he was born had it not been for the angel that told both Joseph and Mary that he's going to be called Jesus. That is going to be his name. And so both Matthew and Luke record that. And so they were following the direction that was given to them. And why was he called Jesus? Because he's the Joshua of the New Testament, if Jesus and Joshua are the same in the Hebrew, and so he is Jesus because he is a deliverer. As Joshua was a deliverer in the Old Testament, Jesus on a grander scale is a deliverer in the New Testament under the New Covenant. And so he will save his people from their sins. And we know that is not a universal salvation. Universalists will believe that everybody eventually is going to be saved. And you want to, you want to listen when people are talking. Sometimes some popular speakers will embrace that kind of theology that uh, somewhere or another everybody's going to be taken to heaven because of the death of Christ, because Jesus was born into our world and gave his life as a ransom. But that is not scriptural. It is scriptural that we have to put our faith in him and that there will be some that are saved, there will be some that miss it. Now, will, will God's judgment be the same with everyone? No, God will be fair, but those that do not receive Christ are going to be judged strictly on their lives, and nobody's good enough to go to heaven, are they? Um, and that's, uh, that sometimes shakes people up when uh, you ask somebody, you know, ha, are, are you a sinner? No, I'm not a sinner. Then you can't be saved <laughs> because Jesus came to save sinners. So that's, we have to come to that point of confession that we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, before I go on with the introduction, uh, I'm going to have a prayer. We'll read the scripture, and then I'll make a few more comments. Uh, so stand if you can, 
if you if it's easy on you believe me it's it doesn't offend me if you don't now it does bother me if young kids or young teenagers are here and they're too lazy to stand I, I get on them so we're looking at first John now this is the these are this is the epistle of John so John wrote three letters so first John second John third John and uh, so we're looking at chapter 3, and we're looking at verse 8. And I'm going to focus on the last part of the verse, but I'll read the whole verse. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Bow your heads for prayer. Lord, uh, thank you for this word this morning. We thank you, dear Jesus, for your mission. We thank you that you were victorious in completing your mission. Lord, uh, we thank you for what that means to us now and what it will mean to us in the future. We thank you, dear Lord, that you have the power, you have the plan, you have the purpose Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are fulfilling those things day by day, regardless of what Satan does. We're glad that you are more powerful. I pray, dear Lord, your blessings on the thoughts that I try to present this morning and help us, dear Lord, to hold them close to our hearts and, and to thrive because we know what God is doing and that God's purposes will prevail. We ask all these favors in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so we've gone, we've gone through the previous three sermons on uh, what does Christ's incarnation mean to you. And if I ask you to Give them all, you might stutter a little bit and have to think a little bit, so I'll just give them to you again this morning. Um, so uh, Christ's incarn incarnation uh, means that uh, God has been revealed to us. Um, God never had a more perfect revelation. Uh, his encounter with the Israelites, uh, his in, encounter with Old Testament prophets, uh, none of those equal the revelation that came through the birth of Jesus Christ. And so he came, Jesus the Christ came to reveal the Father to us. Uh, he, he became, he came, the second message was he came uh, to provide a sacrifice for all humanity. And uh, because all have sinned, and that was, that was the drive, that was the thrust of that message, we all need a Savior. And if we don't have a Savior, we have to stand before God uh, in our own righteousness, which is inadequate. Uh, will not save us. And the third message on the incarnation was that 
uh, we needed someone to present that perfect sacrifice uh, before the throne of God. And so Christ is the one who, who presented his own sacrifice because death could not hold him. So he conquered death, he conquered the grave, and he took the blood that he shed into the perfect sanctuary, into the presence of God, and offered that for our redemption. So we have, we have the perfect high priest. He became our high priest because uh, he conquered sin by his sacrifice, and then he offers that on our behalf. <clears throat> and so today, we're looking at the incarnation. Uh, what does the incarnation mean to you? Uh, it means that you have a champion. It means that you have a person to stand between you and the enemy, that you, are, you have one on your side that guarantees you that you have the power that you need to overcome all the temptations and all the problems. Um, you know, I've seen people get, get saved, get right with God, and uh, after they do that, they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of that old devil. Just bring him on. <laughs> I never felt that way because uh, he is a powerful foe, and he has resources that are beyond any of our imaginations as to what he can do. But aren't you glad for a champion? Aren't you glad that Jesus came? And that's what it said here in this scripture that I read to you this morning. Uh, the Son of God was manifested, and manifested, we can say, means being born into this world, can't we? He was born into this world so that he might destroy the works of the devil. So he is on a mission, and that mission is to go against the enemy of our soul, against the enemy of God, and he is going to win in that conquest. There is no doubt about it. Uh, when, when Jesus came into this world, it has been suggested that it was a big surprise to Satan because Satan knew there was nobody good enough to be our Savior. No human being could step forward to be our Savior. There's, uh, there are thoughts about the fact that when Adam and Eve sinned, and they began to have children, not as a result of their sin, but that as a result of their being human, and God said, multiply and replenish the earth, uh, that they had thought that perhaps uh, Cain or Abel would be the one that would be their go-between. And then when Cain killed Abel, then Seth came along, and it was thought maybe Seth 
would be the one that would bruise the head of the old serpent. Uh, but Seth was not the one. Down through the ages, they tell us that Hebrew women all thought maybe they would be the one that would bear the promised one that would bring deliverance to the human race. Uh, and wondering if they would be chosen for that honored position. Whether that's true or not, I'm going to tell you that's what I've read. Uh, but we don't find it in the scripture, so I, you don't need to look for it there. But uh, God did choose somebody. God chose Mary, didn't he? And there's, there's a lot of bad theology about Mary. Mary would be probably disgusted with some of the things that have been taught about her. Uh, that uh, because Jesus was sinless, then she had to be sinless to be able to give birth to the Christ. Uh, that is not true. Uh, because uh, he did not come through the line of Adam. He came, he came through woman. And that is significant when you read that passage in Genesis that the seed of woman, you do not find that a woman is referred to as having seed. It is the man that has the seed. But it says the seed of woman because God knew then that it was not going to be through mankind it was going to be through woman, and that was going to be by a miraculous birth. That was going to be by a virgin birth without the agency of a human man. That God himself was going to cause that embryo to form and to be born. Uh, and so it is the seed of woman. And so man, man was not in the equation. And uh, when you read the scripture, uh, it says that Adam was the one that was held accountable. Eve was, Eve was innocent by reason of ignorance. Uh, she was guilty. We can say, yes, she did it. But she was deceived. She actually was deceived. And that's somewhat of a put down uh, because when Paul writes, he says the woman was deceived. But Adam was in the transgression. Adam knew what he was doing. Why did Adam do it? When Adam knew it was wrong. There's a lot of people set, set around those long tables in the universities, uh, Christian universities, trying to figure that out. Was he, was he thinking he could save his wife by doing that? Uh, we don't know. What if he didn't? Oh, that'll make you kind of gnaw on the doorknob a little bit too, uh, trying to figure that out. What if he didn't? You know, there's a lot of what ifs, uh, and uh, you can't come up with an answer for all those, but we know what did happen, and we know that it was not a mortal man that was generated from Adam. 
that was going to bring deliverance. It was, it was the God-man. And so the only way we could be saved was for God himself to do it. Now, we know that Satan is not omniscient. You know what omniscience is? To know everything. Satan acts like he knows everything. And Satan parades like he knows everything, but he doesn't know everything. You can look at a chain of events and kind of figure this is going to happen or that's going to happen. That does not make you omniscient. That makes you observant. And Satan has great abilities of observation, doesn't he, being the prince of the power of the air. But he doesn't know everything. So when God formulated the plan of salvation for Christ to come and to receive a human body, that very likely was a shock to old Satan. He knew he had to stop Jesus because Jesus was the one who had the answer to the mortal sin, the sin that was going to kill us and keep us from God. He had to stop Jesus before Jesus went through with the plan. And he tried, didn't he? The temptation, we're not going to read all the temptations there in Matthew 4, but Satan unleashed his demons on Jesus to wear him down, and then Satan himself came into the arena and tried, tried to dissuade Jesus, tried to cause him to stop, sidestep what God's plan was. But Jesus went forward with the plan of God, and it was the plan of, of the Trinity that this would take place. Uh, the song says, uh, the Father planned, the Savior bled and died. And uh, Josiah mentioned about the Holy Spirit being with us to implement the plan of God. So it's one God, and these are all part of that one God. And no, I know, it's beyond it's beyond our comprehension how all that happens, but it does, it did happen that way. And so we see Jesus coming as God, fully God, and fully man, but without Adamic. That means without Adam's sin. Instead, he comes purely born as. Adam and Eve were before they were tempted in the garden and fell into sin. And that's probably only partially true because he is the Son of God. But he was not tainted is what I'm trying to tell you. You know what tainted is? Yeah, you know what tainted is, don't you? My mom knew what tainted was because uh, when she was canning, uh, she was very meticulous about getting those jars clean. Guess who got to scrub the jars? My brother was too big. His hands were too big. My hands were little. And she loved these little hands that could go down in with a dishcloth and scrub those 
canning jars out. I hated doing that. But I liked eating what was in those jars. And I knew better than to say I wasn't going to do it. So I did it. But she knew if there was one little, one little thing in that jar that was left over from previous use, it was tainted. And you could seal that thing up. You could, you could get the water boiling hot. But you know what was going to happen, don't you? <laughs> there was going to be mold activity and bacteria activity in that jar. And when you thought you had a good jar of green beans, that that lid was going to loosen up that there was going to be something happening in there that wouldn't stay sealed. Well, we can say all mankind was tainted, but Jesus had no trace of sin whatsoever in him. He was 100% holy and pure, and he was the perfect example of what life can be when we live in obedience to God. So he never committed sin. And those that say nobody's perfect, well, nobody else, but Jesus was. And he maintained that. And so uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And as our as our champion, he is about that task. Uh, the Bible tells us that one day, uh, even what has happened in the, in the whole creation, uh, God is, God is going to turn things around. Uh, he tells us in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, uh, that uh, there is coming a time of redemption uh, for the whole creation. Uh, if you look in, in Romans 8 and verse 19, well, 18 is awfully good. I hate to skip that one. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So whatever you're going through, Paul says there's not even a comparison to what you're going to have because of the glory that's going to come to you. But look at 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature. So now we're talking about creation. Waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. When God's going to bring his plan to fulfillment, all creation is, as it were, in expectation of when they're going to be delivered from the bondage that they're under. Verse 20 says, For the creature or the creation was made subject to vanity or futility or emptiness, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. 
because the creation or the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So the whole world senses the conflict, but they're not alone. We're with them. We feel the conflict, things that are going on with our bodies, things that are going on around us and so forth. But one of these days, Satan will receive the ultimate defeat, and that is because Christ, our champion, is going to win that battle. Uh, you look in Hebrews, <coughs> it says in chapter 2 and verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. So Christ is on a mission of destruction, of destruction of everything that Satan has done, of the destruction of the power that he's held over us through death. And I'm glad that Jesus has taken the sting out of death, but I'll be glad when death itself is gone totally and completely. The, the sting of death is sin. Jesus took care of that when we have our faith in him. But praise God, one day there, there won't be any more need for funeral directors. And you know I've said before, some people say, there won't be any funeral directors in heaven. The funeral directors say, wait a minute, I'd like to go to heaven. Does that mean I can't go because I'm a funeral director? No, they'll be unemployed is what that means. They'll be unemployed. There won't be any need for them. Death will be banished, and Christ will be the victor. So we're going to see, we're going to see Jesus as the great conqueror. Uh, do you remember uh, when Jesus sent the disciples out that uh, he said uh, that he saw Satan like lightning fall from the sky? That's in Luke 10, 18, if I wrote it down right, and I think I did. Luke 10, 18. Uh, the power of Satan at that time when the disciples were on their evangelistic mission was shaken. And as the prince of the power of the air, uh, he, was, he was in trouble because the gospel was being proclaimed. And he tried his very best to stop Jesus when it came time for the crucifixion. But Jesus defanged him, didn't he, when he said, Not my will, but thine be done. And that was the opposite of what Adam said. Adam said, Not your will, but mine be done. And that's what mankind says today. Not your will, but mine be done. But Jesus said, Not my will, but yours be done. And that won the victory. It says uh, in Revelation that... Uh, we're going to see the destruction of old Satan 
Revelation 20. Um, and I saw an angel come down from heaven having, heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, hand and he laid hold of that of the dragon, that old serpent. So we see him as a serpent in the garden, don't we? The, Satan the serpent tempted Eve. He lays hold of that old serpent, uh, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him and for a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and then he reaches his final doom after that, after the millennial reign. Well, Jesus became a man Jesus, and I should say the Christ became a man named Jesus so that he could go up against our arch enemy and win the victory. Praise the Lord. So there's a lot of other things could be said about that, but I don't have to say them all this morning. Praise God, huh? Okay. So will you stand with me this morning?